The Joyce Kaufman Podcast is being brought to you by Code Red Roofers, South Florida's leading residential and commercial roof experts. Code Red Roofers, roofers that respond. Call 844-4-CODE-RED or visit coderedroofers.com. Oh my goodness, stumble you my fault. It is Monday. It is Thanksgiving week, which means that half the people are already going crazy with holiday plans, not just Thanksgiving, but of course, this is the beginning of the holiday season, whether it's Christmas or Hanukkah or anything else, Kwanzaa, whatever you happen to celebrate, although Kwanzaa is like a fake made up holiday, but well, actually, they're all probably pretty fake and made up, but I do enjoy Christmas, I do, and I um, I like menorahs lit up and all that good stuff, so uh, I should be feeling more festive, right? But how, how festive can you feel when you look at the current world situation? It makes you take a step back and think to yourself, like, can it possibly get any worse? And if not, how do we fix this? That's the question. Because I never want to give up. I'm one of these uh, perennial optimists. I'm, I'm cautious <laughs> about uh, next but I'm not ready to give up, and I don't think anybody should be. Young voters are choosing Donald Trump. I'm going to go there in a minute, but first I have to say how really kind of, I don't know how you reacted yesterday when you got the word that former First Lady Rosalind Carter had passed. She's been in hospice for maybe two or three days. I remember I announced it early in or middle of last week, but it was during the week. And by Sunday, she had already uh, passed. And all I kept thinking was her husband, former President Jimmy Carter, has been in hospice, it's got to be a year now. I remember talking about it last holiday season, that he was going into hospice, but that didn't necessarily mean he would pass quickly. And uh, au contraire, this 99-year-old former president is still alive and apparently He's alive enough to know that his wife of 77 years, like, first of all, I'm not even 77 years old, okay? I'm, I'm going to be 70 soon, but I'm not 77 years old. They were married for 77 years. And apparently, she was surrounded by family. She was in hospice care. She was diagnosed with dementia back in May. She was married to Jimmy Carter for 77 years. She was his only first lady. She's his only lady. I remember he was quoted in Playboy magazine. Someone said, uh, well, you seem like you're such a good Christian. You probably never sinned. And he said, well, that's crazy. Of course, everybody sins. And they said, well, you never, uh, you know, never committed adultery. And he said, but I still thought about it. And he considered that sinful. Well, if thinking about adultery is sinful, man, we're all uh, in in deep, <laughs> deep sin, no question about it. But uh, I, I think about a family that stays together that way. This is a man who terminated, oh, I'm right, it was in February that he terminated medical intervention at age 99, and he's still in hospice care at home. So... She passed before he did, even though he went into hospice first and was three years older. She traveled with him when he was in the Navy. You know, I've read a lot about 
Jimmy Carter because he was, in my opinion, the second worst president ever. Um, I can say that because he's still alive. Um, and I'll say it after a significant amount of time has passed when he's no longer alive. I mean, there's a lot of things about Jimmy Carter. He had that partnership with Habitat for Humanity, the Carter Work Project. I mean, the guy um, lived up to his principles. They just didn't, you know, jive with my principles. So I, I just remember just this feeling when I heard the news that like, how long, and you know you thought the same thing. And if you didn't think this, well then, you really are special. But the first thing I thought of was how long can he possibly last now? Because when people are married for 77 years, they are like inextricably tied to one another. And even if it's not 77 years, and even if they're not still married to each other, I can tell you that when my mother passed, it was six weeks later that my father passed and they weren't even married to each other hadn't been married to each other for decades, okay? I had lived very happily. They, they did, they retained a relationship throughout um, based on showing up at, you know, the, my affairs and my children's special occasions. So they learned to have a sort of a begrudging friendship. And I would say in the last four years of their lives, it was better than that. It was a close relationship because they remembered, lives lived together for decades. And so um, I wasn't all that surprised when my father passed just a couple of, you know, less than two months after my mother's passing. Because I just think that sometimes you're just tied up in the cosmo uh, in a way that the spiritual is never severed. And uh, so I, I, the first thought I had was, well, I guess uh, Jimmy Carter is now you know, it's a, it's a countdown, even though it's really been a countdown since February of this year. Now, I don't know what will happen in terms of the, you know, the, the, the prestige that's granted to all former presidents and former first ladies. I mean, obviously, their funerals are much bigger deals than anybody else's, I'm, I'm, I'm venturing to say. She received the Presidential Medal of, uh, of Freedom with her husband. And, uh, you know, she was, had plenty of commendable actions in her own life, not just because she was the first lady, but she did a lot of work for mental health. She was a champion for children. And uh, she was one of the first people to say, I, I, I can't, Explain, explain how important it will be when we treat mental illnesses just like we treat any other illnesses. And so it'll be interesting, you know, um, this ending of an era, really. I, I just, I, I guess I really starting to feel more and more like I'm at the front of the line now. Anyway, that's okay. You know, it's, it's, it's good to, to still be alive. But if you're young, apparently, if you're a young voter, you may very well vote for Donald Trump. That's right. This was an NBC poll. So it's not like it was a conservative-leaning poll. An NBC poll shows Trump beating Biden nationwide in the 18 to 34 age bracket. Now, 
I'm kind of stunned and blown away by that number until I think about it. And then I realize that these are voters. They're not voting for Donald Trump because they believe in capitalism or because they don't like the democratic policies or anything like that. They're just ticked off that Biden is quasi standing behind Israel. And he's not really anymore. But he has made those sounds. And apparently, young voters, not not young people, but young voters, young people who actually vote, because I don't believe that most young people even vote. But young voters are choosing Donald Trump in that 18 to 34 age bracket. Stunning, really. Because uh, Joe Biden can't afford to lose that group. I mean, after all, he's done for them, trying to buy them off with uh, tuition, you know, payments that they should have paid back. Uh, no, they don't have to pay him back, student loans. And he pretty much has uh, held their hands through everything and offered them all kinds of wonderful largesse that the pa- taxpayers like you and I have to pay for. But apparently uh, they're not buying it. They want they want someone to say that uh, that the Palestinian people are right and the Israelis are wrong. And they're not alone. It's a, there's a lot of people on the left who are saying that. It's pretty despicable. But I've talked about it ad nauseum. I'll still talk about it. As a matter of fact, the No Restraint podcast that'll drop this week includes a segment by uh, Martin Gurry talking about how, you know, it's hard to wrap your mind around it. I'm still really struggling to wrap my mind around people who would support the barbaric acts of terrorists and make excuses for them. I don't care what you think about Israel, but at least be honest. Even if you thought that it was an apartheid state, which it isn't, actually, The Palestinian territories are apartheid. They don't let Jews do anything in there. But Arabs serve in the Knesset. Arabs have businesses. Arabs uh, commute back and forth from their territories into Israel proper. So I don't know what the apartheid is. Not only that, but they left. They, They gave them the land ostensibly for peace, and we can see what happened, right? They ended the ceasefire because... To, to the Palestinian people, if you want to call them that, because there really is no such thing, but if you want to say that, to them, peace with Israel is a piece of a Jew here and a piece of a Jew over there. That's, that's just the bottom line. And anybody who thinks otherwise, just look at October 7th. Look at the video footage that's coming out now, even now. Look at this footage of the hospital where they've brought the hostages. You know, and, and all I hear is, oh, ceasefire, ceasefire, ceasefire. Uh, for what? to give them ch- a, a chance to reconstitute the terrorists? No, can't happen. The only way for there to be even a, a, a hope for lives for people living in Gaza is for Hamas to be wiped out. I saw Bibi Netanyahu last night on uh, Life, Liberty, and Levin, and he, he was very correct. He said, look, this isn't just about Israel. This is about the whole world. You know, they're coming after everybody. Hamas doesn't value life at all. They use children as shields. They put women in the front uh, of, a, of a hospital that's harboring 
terrorists and munitions, and they don't care if the women die. They won't even let them escape. So, you know, listen, Hamas has to be wiped out, and young voters don't want that, so they're leaving Joe Biden. I don't even know if I should feel like okay about that. I really don't. I'd rather they were uh, smart enough to know that Hamas is evil. But again, the other thing that I do cover in this week's No Restraint podcast is uh, Ayan Hirsi Ali's decision that she was a Christian now. She left the Muslim faith. She became an atheist. And now she's a Christian. And her rationale, her reason is so perfectly sensible that it's very hard to deny. If you don't have a world built on Judeo-Christian values, then you are not going to have a world. End of story. Because atheists and, and, and various other religious groups, they don't value life the way Jews and Christians do. And that's what's necessary for there to be freedom. That's it. I mean, I'm just, uh, I'm just telling you the truth as I see it. Don't forget to download our app, the 850 WFTL app on your phone, on your computer, laptop, whatever. That way you could participate in all the contests. That way you'll have the No Restraint podcast at your beck and call. You don't have to wait till they run it on the weekend. And, uh, and you'll be just be just uh, happy as a clam. You get all the breaking news updates. You get storm alerts. And of course, all of the podcasts, the UAP, Unidentified Alien podcast, the Cool Dad Rules, and all of our show podcasts, all you got to do is download that app or visit our website, 850wftl.com. Time for me to take a quick break. Stay right where you are. I'll be right back. So uh, one of my listeners uh, smartly reminded me what the term is when a spouse passes it's called the widowhood effect. Uh, it's also known as the loss of will to live syndrome. It's when an elderly spouse passes soon after the death of the spouse in what could be simply called death from a broken heart. Hmm. Is that kind of love. We don't really even talk about that kind of love anymore, right? We don't have any, we don't have any idea how important relationships are. Anyway, let me go back to uh, the horrifying news, and there's plenty of it. The Houthi rebels have released a whole bunch of video right now that shows a bunch of these militants waving machine guns and storming a ship called the Galaxy Leader, which they seized in the Red Sea. Now, uh, it's apparently an Israeli ship although there's mixed uh, reports coming out. They've been carrying out attacks, the Houthis, uh, against Israeli targets for weeks. I mean, they were the first ones to come out and pledge their support to Hamas. And so now they put out a statement that said, all ships belonging to the Israeli enemy or that deal with it will become legitimate targets. And then it shows they, they approach the ship on a helicopter before boarding it and taking all of the 25 crew members hostage. The helicopter literally lands on the deck of the vessel and at least seven armed men jump out. You know, these terrorists are way more sophisticated, I think, than we've ever imagined. You know, gli- paragliders are one thing, but helicopters landing, yeah, we got pirates now in helicopters with machine guns. And there they are, 
undisturbed, walking around on the ship, and and they go in, they point their guns at, you got to be terrified, members of the crew, right? And then they're inspecting the ship. One of them's walking around the deck with a gun in his hand, shouting, Allah Akbar. This is, this is pretty scary stuff. The galaxy leader, the ship is then seen from the outside, and now it's surrounded by a whole bunch of smaller vessels. Mohammed Abdul Salam, the Houthis' chief negotiator and spokesman. These guys have a chief negotiator, these pirates, okay? This ain't, you know, uh, blackjack with a peg leg. The, he released an online statement that the Israelis only understand, quote, the language of force, end quote. The detention of the Israeli ship is a practical step that proves the seriousness of the Yemeni armed forces in waging the sea battle, regardless of its costs and cost. This is the beginning. They said they were treating the crew members in accordance with their Islamic values. Well, I hate to know what that is. I'm just, I'm just saying, you know, uh, killing Jews is an Islamic value. Israeli Prime Minister Netanyahu's office had blamed the Houthis for the attack on the Bahamas-flagged Galaxy Leader, a vehicle carrier affiliated with an Israeli billionaire. It said no Israelis were on board. The ship's Japanese operator, NYK Line, said the vessel had no cargo at the time of the hijacking, and its crew members are from the Philippines, Bulgaria, Romania, Ukraine, and Mexico, according to the uh, Japanese operator. Japan on Monday condemned the hijacking. Chief Cabinet Secretary Hirokazu Matsuno said the Japanese government was doing its utmost for an early release of the crew. Israeli officials insisted the ship was British-owned and Japanese-operated. However, ownership details in public shipping databases associated the ship's owners with Raycar carriers founded by Abraham Rami Ungar, who is known as one of the richest men in Israel. This is an act of terror by Iran, mind you. I don't care what you call it, Houthis or Hezbollah or anything else. This is all Iran proxies. And I can tell you, I have a nephew right now who is a merchant seaman. And he's out there somewhere in the Middle East just carrying cargo. But this kind of stuff's scary. It's really scary. You don't have to have a family member. You just have to think for a moment, what does this mean? Well, it doesn't mean that uh, things are going well. That's for sure. The other amazing thing is the, the concept of pirates in this day and age with machine guns and helicopters. Like what happened to the, you know, one ship comes up alongside of the other ship and then they jump on board and everybody's fighting with daggers. I guess that's only in... Uh, Pirates of the Caribbean or at the Disney World or at the Disney movie. Who knows? This is a whole new world. Now you got Lebanon is on the brink of war. A rocket attack from Lebanon just hit the Berenit base in northern Israel. Today, a rocket attack from Hezbollah hit the IDF. And it looks like a lot of damage. There's a fire, uh, you know, I guess, caused by the shelling. And the IDF has confirmed that rockets were fired at the base. 
So here you go. Hezbollah claiming responsibility. And while there haven't been any injuries yet, the base was pretty badly damaged if these pictures are accurate, and I have no reason to believe they're not. They've been confirmed by Lebanon and by Israel. And it began with the IDF who struck a, um, struck, I guess it was like an artillery housing place to prevent Hezbollah from approaching the area. And then a number of rockets were fired from Lebanon at the Arab Al-Aramshi and Baram community, as well as the Biarnit army base. So, of course, the IDF said fighter jets and combat helicopters and tanks are striking Hezbollah sites in southern Lebanon. So now we have a war between Israel and Lebanon, both caused by Iranian-backed terror groups called Hamas and Hezbollah. And now the Houthis are pirates. So let me ask a question. Should anybody declare a ceasefire now? Or do we have to finally face the fact that if we don't wipe out these terror organizations and ultimately wipe out Iran's capability of funding them, this whole World War III thing is no longer a conspiracy theory. It's a, 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 a we're there. We're so there already. And it just, it, it makes me so angry that the majority of the media and most of the Democrat party wants to delude themselves into thinking that we can do this diplomatically, we could stop this diplomatically. Iran is testing the waters right now. They want to see how far they can provoke the United States. And with this administration, with the Biden, what's her name? Harris administration. Oh my God, I don't even remember my vice president's name. Tells you how front and center she's been, right? So if this administration fails to act over and over again, then what do we really expect these uh, Iranian proxies are going to do? And what do we think Iran is thinking? What are the mullahs thinking? They're thinking now or never is what they're thinking. And, And the rest of us are sitting here, you know, wondering, oh, how could the media get it so wrong? How could so many young people who are educated get it so wrong? What have we done? How have we basically eliminated any moral compass in entire generations? It's virtually, I don't know. I, I, I was thinking that it would make a heck of a novel, but it really doesn't make a great nonfiction book. And that's what we're facing right now. Chaos just all kinds of insanity happening right before our very eyes and people defending the indefensible left and right. And then, of course, when we come back from this break, I have to talk about Javier Millet, who just won the presidency of Argentina. Man, if this isn't a harbinger of what's coming everywhere, not just in South America, but everywhere, I don't know what is. It's looking pretty, uh, looking pretty right-leaning to me these days. And what does that mean for us? Well, it certainly doesn't mean the Democrats are in a good position. All right, let me take a break. You stay right where you are, and I will be right back. 
So it was really kind of shocking, I think, to a lot of the world when the Argentinian people voted for someone who's like to the right of right, a libertarian outsider by the name of Javier Millet. He real he didn't just win. He won by like 10 points. Um, that's very, very, very informative. You, you've got to start thinking about Argentina, once upon a time, a very thriving South American country, has had a really awful, well, probably, I want to say it's like 20, 30 decades of economic disaster, just a decline, triple-digit inflation. I, I mean, we are freaking out at double-digit inflation, um, and occasionally we do have triple-digit inflation, but this has like been... SOP for Argentina for decades now. So this self-described anarcho-capitalist, first of all, I love that, right? What's an anarcho-capitalist? He, he bows, he, he literally gets the populist Peronista coalition, which has been running Argentina for a long time, the commies. He, he, he him. I mean, there's no other way to say it. The guy who ran against him was the economy minister, Sergio Massa, who only got 44% of the vote and was quick to concede yesterday. And what does uh, Millet say in his victory speech? Today, he said, begins the reconstruction of Argentina. Today, he ain't playing. Does he remind you of anybody else? He said, the model of decadence has come to an end. There's no way back. This is the third biggest economy in Latin America, by the way, which because of their interventionist governments who gave money away, big, big welfare state and all the rest of it, printing money to finance their spending. Does it sound familiar to anybody? Fueling inflation, borrowing uh, heavily, and then defaulting on their debt. The only thing we haven't done yet. The access to money is so controlled that you have a huge black market for dollars. And the peso, I don't know, I don't think it's worth anything. So Millet wins and he says there is no room for gradualism or half measures. His platform has been to ditch the ailing peso for the U.S. dollar and dynamite the central bank to do away with the cancer of inflation. Now, half of the world, more than half, is moving away from the U.S. dollar, and this guy's moving towards it. What does he know that maybe others don't know? I'll tell you what he knows. He knows that people all over the world are sick and tired of this nonsense that the left has been foisting down their people's throats for decades now, the country is in a, a desperate situation and it takes desperate measures. Now, I'm sure the young people are delighted because they don't understand and they love the idea of blowing up the past. But, you know, this, uh, this, isn't, uh, this isn't gonna be easy and people are gonna be watching it very, very carefully. People are tired of uh, the Perone school of thought. And even though they're not really sure who this guy is, kind of like, you know, Donald Trump, uh, they said, we're tired of Peronism. 
better a madman than a thief. Okay, this is a 53-year-old economist. He's got, if you look at him, he's a little like, uh, I don't know, maybe a little more like uh, Boris in, in Great Britain. You know, crazy hair, thick sideburns. Um, people say that he's a lot like uh, Jair Bolsonaro, the, the Brazilian leader, and definitely people are comparing him to Donald Trump. And who, by the way, both Donald Trump and Bolsonaro have already congratulated him, not our president. Um, Anthony Blinken, the Secretary of State, said, well, we'll uh, uh, we're looking forward to working with him, but he wasn't sure if anybody had called him yet. <laughs> now, he said he was going to cut ties with the country's top trading partners, which would be Brazil and China. He says, I'm not doing business with communists. It's going to be very fascinating, and, and I think it's going to... Um, start a cavalcade of movement to the right by a lot of countries. China said Monday it would continue working with Argentina. They congratulated the president-elect. China has always attached great importance to the development of China-Argentina relations from a strategic and long-term perspective. Okay, apparently their new leader is not down with that. Uh, he is pro-life, against abortion, he has insulted Pope Francis, who happens to be Argentinian, by the way. Um, he says that the death toll numbers that the public has been given about Argentina and the dictator that, uh, you know, ran it for so long or these, this party that ran it for so long. And then he also said that humans are not causing climate change. Okay, this is a chainsaw kind of guy and it's going to be very, very interesting. Not to mention, I just saw a picture of his, uh, I guess, girlfriend. Uh, f uh, she's not his wife yet, but she's already being called the first lady of Argentina. An actress, actually a comedic actress by the name of Fatima Flores. And she is definitely stunning. <laughs> I mean... One thing about these guys, uh, these uh, anarcho-capitalists, as he calls himself, and as I would now call Donald Trump when you get right down to it, is they got great taste in women. And conservative women, by and large, I don't know, they just, they seem better looking to me. You know, you can decide for yourself, but like, you know, Mel Melania or Jill Biden. You, you tell me, Hillary Clinton or... Melania. Hmm. It's a rough, rough, right? All right, let me take a break. Don't forget that after me, you will be listening to Eric Erickson, followed by Joe Paggs and Lars Larson, the overnight crew. And then at 6 a.m., Jen and Bill will be back with the South Florida Morning Show, followed by Brian Kilmeade at 9 and by Dan Bongino at noon. And if it be his will and he delays his coming, of course, I'll be back at 3 o'clock tomorrow. But I have one segment left today, so you stay right where you are. I got to tell you, I'm looking at this guy, Millie, in uh, Argentina, and he is going to have a hard time. He is going to have the exact same efforts against him that Donald Trump had. I can see it all now. They're already talking about how he carried out a lot of his campaign on TikTok and on social media. Remember when that's all they would say about uh, Donald Trump and that he fired up the young people. And that's, uh, you know, here we go again. And then they said that a lot of people are going to fight. 
the this is one of these uh, dejected people at the other guy's campaign headquarters at Massa's headquarters. A teacher, forty-two year old, said she was in shock. I wonder if she was crying like the newscasters when Trump got elected. Millet will find us on the street defending every right he seeks to challenge. Half of Argentina does not support him. Does that ring a bell with anybody? On the other end of his chainsaw, of course, are all of the people who depend on welfare and government subsidies of fuel and electricity and, uh, and transport. And uh, meanwhile, the country is totally in debt. Their coffers are in the red. They got $44 billion in debt with the IMF. And he's going to have to make some hard decisions. He's going to have to make them quickly. So he's going to have a very similar experience to one Donald J. Trump. And I hope he's tough. And I hope his lady is tough because they're going to come after him with the same kind of vengeance. You know, they hate to lose their power even when they've done everything wrong and people are just fed up with them. And finally, I have to mention this story because I'm so tired of these journalists, or so they call themselves. Look, I'm an opinion person. I tell you what I think. I don't report the news. But people who are news reporters, people who claim to be journalists, really uh, grieve me when they do stuff and expect to get away with it. Here, there's a story in the New York Post today that there was a freelance journalist, a Palestinian freelancer, who was working for NBC News. She was actually arrested this morning on suspicion of inciting terror and identifying with terrorist organizations. Mirvat Al-Azi, who lives in East Jerusalem, was jailed, actually she was jailed last Thursday, after sharing four recent Facebook posts regarding Hamas's sneak attack on uh, Israel on October 7th, you know, the one that killed more than 1,200 people? And this is according to the Jerusalem Post. It's unclear what she wrote in those posts, although police described them at a hearing at the Jerusalem Magistrate Court as inciting and glorifying the horrible acts committed against civilians. Now, NBC is owned by Comcast, and they had to make a quick move because they are already mistrusted tremendously. So they cut ties with this journalist, and their statement was, before we recently retained Marwat Aza for services as a freelance producer, we were not aware of her personal social media activity that provided the basis for the Israeli investigation, according to an NBC spokesperson. Um, and we understand the material under investigation is not related to any services that she provided to NBC News. And her most recent byline on November 12th reported that newborns at the Al-Shifa Hospital in Gaza City were dying as the facility ran out of resources. So, hey, listen, this is a journalist? This is like the photojournalists that were with the uh, terrorists when they stormed the kibbutz and the uh, music festival. Really, I mean, you should do a better job vetting. That does it for me today. I thank you for your time this time. Until next time, my plan is to be back here uh, tomorrow at 3 o'clock, if it be his will and he delays his coming. Remember, what lies behind us and what lies ahead of us are tiny matters compared to what lies within us. So wherever you are, 
just be yourself. Everybody else is taken. And I thank you. I thank you for uh, staying uh, with the show. And I thank you. Check out today's No Restraint podcast. It'll be dropping shortly. And and my plan is to meet you back here tomorrow at 3 o'clock. God bless you and God bless the USA. The Joyce Kaufman Podcast has been brought to you by Code Red Roofers, South Florida's leading residential and commercial roof experts. Code Red Roofers, roofers that respond. Call 844-4-CODE-RED or visit coderedroofers.com.